0: All right, you ready to roll? Let's do it. Second Kings chapter 8. Xander did a great job last week. Was that last week? That was last week, and he did a great job, and I appreciate him doing it. And uh, I think next up... No, 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 it's me next week, and then you. Next up in a couple weeks, Brad Ebert. So that'll be good. And um, let's do this. Uh, if you're going to understand Eze- uh, Second K- Ezekiel, my goodness, Second Kings chapter eight, then you better know Second Kings chapter four. Some people believe Second Kings chapter eight is out of chronological order. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'll tell you why. But I want to take you back. Why is she called the Shunammites? The Shunammite widow. Oh, that's easy. She's from Shunem. (laughs) So that's a little bit above uh, Jerusalem. uh, Going north. And uh, so there's this lady that Elisha encounters in chapter 4 of 2 Kings. She's from Shunem. Now think about what her life must have been like. After this encounter with The prophet Elisha, verse five, uh, verse eight. Sorry, she went to Shunem, and there was a woman there. Or Elisha went to Shunem, and there was a woman there, and she persuaded him to come and eat some food. Right? She was a gracious and generous and hospitable lady. He would go there to eat some food, and listen. She had a husband. I know this is a holy man of God who p- passes by. Let's let's make a small upper room on the wall. Let's put a bed for him. Put a table, a chair, a lampstand. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned to the upper room and laid down there. So, what? I mean, she, she knew what her part was. Maybe I can't be the person that's uh, doing the prophecy. But I certainly could open my home and help him. Isn't that beautiful? And we talked about that last time. Well... This wonderful lady, uh, the story continues on about her. Verse 11, it happened one day, turned into the upper room, laid down, and he said to Gehazi, the reason I'm rereading this to you is because you're not going to make sense of what we're about (laughs) to talk about unless you know this story. Gehazi, who's the servant, right, of Elisha, called this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him and he said to him, Say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. Hey, what can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she said, hey, I dwell among my people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, and actually, she has no son. And I uh, underlined this. Her husband is old. That's important for the next chapter eight. So he said, well, call her. And when he'd call her, she stood in the doorway. And she said, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. Now think about that. We talked about this. Can you imagine what she must, the, the thing that must have gone on in her heart, in her inner in self? must have leapt and been full of hope or maybe even a little bit of skepticism, but whatever. She didn't have a son and her husband was old. And the man of God says, the Lord says, you're going to have a kid, well, or a, a child, I got in trouble one time when I called somebody a kid. But anyway, you're gonna have a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, don't lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son. How how high she must have been. The highest of heights, so full of faith now. Everything's going great. All the circumstances in her life, they had been going bad, now they're going great. Uh, She conceived and had a son, and at the appointed time of which Elisha had told her, just at the time, you understand? She knew that God had ordained this because it happened at the time that Elisha said it was going to happen. Of course, there are such things as, you know, 40 weeks, but whatever. And the child grew, and it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said, Oh my goodness, my head's killing me. My head's hurting. The highest of heights they are. They've had this son that they've wanted. So he says to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. The highest of heights to the lowest of lows. Heartbroken, hurting, angry, bitter, scared, frustrated, all the things that you think might have happened, disappointed. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys that I go, may go to the man of God. She goes to the man of God. Uh, you know, the husband's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? It's, And she said, it is well. She didn't give up hope. Did you catch that? Verse 23 then she saddled a donkey verse 24 and said to her servant drive go forward do not and so she departed and she went to the man of god at mount carmel where the big defeat of the prophets happened by elisha's forerunner or mentor elijah you know that story So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, It's well with you. Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, Can you believe it? Can you hardly believe it? She says, It's well. And she came to the man at the hill. She caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. The man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Didn't I say, Don't deceive me? And then he said to his servant Gehazi, get yourself ready, take my staff, be on your way. If you meet anyone, don't greet him. If anyone greets you, don't answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I won't leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of them, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, hey, the child is not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child. I mean, let's, let's... the Bible makes no mistake here. I mean, the, the child's dead. Dead. Can you imagine coming back to the house, what she must have felt? All the feelings... There he is, laying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands, stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. That means he was cold and dead. And he was warm. And he returned and walked back and forth and again went up and stretched himself. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and picked up her son and went out. That's the backdrop to the story we're going to read tonight. And that's in 2 Kings 8 where we're going. Some people, because you understand later on in the story, if you've been tracking with us, Gehazi, the servant, got really greedy. And he took the leprosy that was On Naaman, the king of Syria, when he got really greedy. That was in the end of chapter 5. So Gehazi had leprosy after chapter 5. Now file that in the back of your head. We'll talk about it in a minute. But now we're coming to chapter 8. We're at about 847 BC. Why does that matter? (laughs) Here's why it matters. Because I'm trying to keep you in a high view of what kings is all about. Because do you remember this? Back a ways here in the Bible, Israel wants a king like the rest of the king or like the rest of the countries. Do you, you know this? And the first king, the people's choice, the people's choice of a king award goes to King Saul. And God's choice was King David. And King David replaces King Saul. And then a third king is a guy named Solomon. You know him. And then after Solomon comes into place in the kings, Solomon dies and his son and his servant get in a civil war. And the kingdom of Israel splits in 931 B.C. And that's important. I don't see how you understand the Old Testament unless you know that. And you keep it in mind every time you read it. 931 B.C., the kingdom splits. Right? And we're now tracking the ten kingdoms in the north, or ten kingdoms, ten tribes in the north called Israel that went and created their own religion. They added it into what the true and living God They even set up golden calves in two areas to worship. And then there's in the south, Judah and Benjamin, right? And so we're following now this divided kingdom. It's not together. We're following a divided kingdom. And then Israel in the north and in the south, but Israel in the north, the ten tribes, they have enemies. Guess what one of their big enemies is? Syria. And we see Syria bothering, especially the northern kingdom, over and over again. We're going to see it some more here. We're going to talk about, hopefully, if we get that far. I'm not sure we're going to get that far. Okay, so that's where we are. 931 B.C. We're at 847 B.C., and we're moving toward 722 B.C. Somebody yell out what happened in 722 B.C. The Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom and ripped them out and took them back to Assyria. Then in 586 BC, after a series of invasions, the Babylonians come and take the southern kingdom out. If you don't know those dates, I don't see how you know Old Testament. It'll be be like (laughs) walking in a dark room with no lights on, you know. You'll have going through a maze. You'll never know. 931, 722, good. Jerusalem fund. We need it for coming, coming Jerusalem. That's okay. So I want you to know those dates. Did, can you tell I want you to know those dates? Okay, good. All right, so here we go. Elisha then spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. So now you know. Let me read you something that I want you to keep in the back of your mind. And you can turn there too if you want. In Romans 8.11. Let me, let me, remember, all these things are written in the Old Testament. They're history. They really happened. But they're types and shadows of a reality of Jesus Christ. Get it? And here, the Shumanite woman, can you imagine the highs and lows she's been on? And ultimately, her son is raised, resurrected, resuscitated, really, because he's going to die eventually. But do you get it? He came back to life. Read this with me in Romans eight eleven. But if the spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. When we're reading this story, It is the story, and it's going to have beautiful value and and worth just from the story. But there's something behind this. You see, the Shumanite woman and the son and the husband, before I think he died, I'll show you why, knew the power of resurrection. And guess what you know? The power of resurrection. Because the Spirit... Of him who raised Jesus from the dead, how powerful is that? Don't ever get tired of reading Romans 8.11 resides in you if you've surrendered your life to Christ. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, you know resurrection power. Get it? All right, so catch this. So here you go. You got this lady and husband, and they want a child, and they're getting older. And, uh, man, they get the child, and the child dies. And then... The man of God, by God, raises the son from the dead. And now, apparently, they stay in contact because Elisha speaks to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Just that touches me. He didn't just, you know, you're just some ministry figure that I just do something with and go on. You see it? He's concerned about her. He stays in touch with her. I think that's important, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I think you do too. He speaks to this woman, his son, he'd restored a life. It was so powerful, saying, arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. Now, think about this. Wait a minute. Hold on here. You did a miracle for me, Lord. You did it. You, you, you sent Elijah, you did a miracle. I'm so thankful, Lord. But I don't want to move. I mean, I, I like it and I'm comfortable. And I mean, we got the white picket fence now. The kid's in soccer. He loves his school. He loves his friends. I'm finally found a play group that I'm comfortable with. And you want me to do what? I want you to move. I want you to leave. I want you to get out of here. I want you to go to a country where you can at least survive. Think think about it. This has been hard. This would have been difficult. This would have been, uh, in modern America, uh, no way I'm doing that kind of thing. You catching? So he says, uh, arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine. Note, the Lord controls the weather, or at least permits the weather. Check it. The Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. Guess what a resurrected life does? Obeys no matter what. Now, We think we obey no matter what. But just come and do my job for one week and then find out when people get in fights with each other whether we obey. Well, did you say you're sorry? (laughs) Well, I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? No way, I can't do that. I'm just talking about something (laughs) kind of elementary. (laughs) And here, this lady through a resurrected life, knew the, the power of a res- and knew that the Lord was powerful and big and mighty, had called for a famine, and she trusted and had faith. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in, in her faith, she said, oh, you want me to move? You want me to take the kids out of school? Kid. You want me to get him out of soccer, my play group? You want me to go to a land that's different than mine? Okay. We'll do it. A resurrected life. She knew the power of resurrection. So she says, Okay, I'll obey. I'll obey. And uh, in fact, the woman arose and did according to the saying in verse 2 of the man of God. And she went with her household and she dwelt in the land of the enemies. That's why he's writing her, that's where he sent her, or that's where she went. She went to the land of the enemy and she didn't live there seven days and she didn't live there seven weeks. And she didn't live there seven months. She um, she lived there seven years, as Catherine said. She lived there seven years. What else does a person who knows the power of a resurrected life do? They wait on the Lord. They wait on the Lord. Let me give you something. Turn with me to Psalm one thirty. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? First, let's just see waiting on the Lord. Go to Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. I think this is a song, as a matter of fact, that's out. Maybe Shane and Shane, right? They sing the Psalms. (laughs) I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Check this out. What do you do when you wait on the Lord? Do you just sit on the couch and watch uh, Days of Our Lives and eat bonbons? Or do you watch the Buckeyes and eat bonbons or do you have sodas and just have chips and just say, Lord, uh, I, I need an answer. Uh, I'm going to sit here and just veg out. And when you decide it's okay, uh, I don't know, knock something off my shelf or something and I'll know it's from you. Well, here the uh, psalmist says, uh, I, I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And here's how I wait, the psalmist said, in his word I do hope or Yeah, in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. Listen to this. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. It's a blessed time to get up again. You see what he's saying there? It's like, I hope in you like I hope for life. Because the sun's coming up again. And I have another day to live and to love and to grow. And Lord... Even for seven years, if you, if you ask me for seven years to wait for you, a resurrected life says, I'll keep waiting. What does it mean to wait? One pastor says this. Let me read it to you. Yes, of course, to sit in silence and prayer and wait for his guidance and to hear from him, of course. But it also means looking expectantly. Listen to this. Looking in expectantly for his inevitable provision. Do you know that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life? So not only does he give you a resurrected, new creation life, he also says, now, I think it's John 10, 10, or at least it's in John 10, I'm going to give you life abundant So not only does he give you new life, but the life you live now, he wants to give you abundantly. And you say, wait a minute. She went into the enemy territory for seven years and waited. Well, she waited expectantly for an inevitable provision. Why? Because she knows her God cares for her. I read something today. It was so powerful. I'm going to botch it. I can't remember the quote, but it was something like this. Don't worry and stress yourself out. Now, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing, but here's the idea. Don't worry and stretch, uh, uh, stress yourself out about how much you love God. Become a, um, an uh, observant at the relentless, powerful love that he pursues you with, and you'll be fine. Or something like that. And that's so true. Man, the way in which God loves you. I know we love God, but really we love God only because he loved us first. And and if we can get to the place where we can understand the love of God and how much he's done for us, oh my, uh, what we wouldn't give back. And here, even waiting expectantly for an inevitable provision, he loves us so much, he's our dad, he'll give us what we need. It's also, this pastor says, to believe that his grace is sufficient for every present need. To trust him to provide. Listen, listen. To trust him to provide even before he started to do so. Now that's faith. And that's not faith in some mirage. It's faith in God who's a loving father. The best and greatest loving father who's going to give us what we need. And she's there seven years waiting upon the Lord in obedience. Can you imagine? Would you have about fit year five? Man, i am telling you what. I, I'm telling you what. Don't, don't ask Jan about this, but I'm the world's greatest grumbler. If, if I can catch people grumbling, I, I could just like get into that stream of grumbling. Anybody else like that? You get around people and they start grumbling. And then before you know it, you're like, man, I'm the pastor and I'm grumbling. And man, it's such a lack of trust. I could really grumble about something that happened this week. How dare God upset my plans to go to Israel? I mean, how dare God do that? That's how we think about this stuff. When in reality, it's not probably, God has a purpose for postponing the trip. And if I grumble about it, guess what I'm doing? I'm just, (laughs) I'm saying you, I'm really what I'm saying when I grumble about it is, Lord, you have no idea what you're doing. That's what I'm saying. And so here, seven years of waiting expectantly. Listen, I'm expecting now that this trip is going to get rescheduled. Uh, that he's going to do. So- he, he wants to do something even more powerful than I could even hope or think. How do I even? Why do I even think that? Is it just something I'm pulling out of the air? No, I read the rest of this story. <laughs> How perfectly timely that this story comes now. She waits seven years, and in verse three. Oh, we're only in verse three. Okay. And it came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Guess what a resurrected life does? Seeks an audience with the king. Guess what? Every Sunday night, we can have audience with the king. Oh, you can have it any other time you want by the blood of the lamb. But a resurrected life understands, you know, as she's trucking back from the, you know, Philistia. How do you say it? Whatever. The land of the Philistines. You know, she's trucking back there, and she could be mopey and just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And, uh, you know, go over to Gertrude's house and say, Gertrude, can you believe I had to stay over there for seven years. No, here's what the Bible tells us. She went right to the king. You catching that? Now, going to the king would have been a little, you know, nerve-wracking. We know that from uh, some of the Old Testament books. It was a terrible thing to go into the presence of the king. You were uncertain. You didn't know if he was going to kill you or grant your wish. But she goes right to the king. And what's happened here is she's lost her lands. They've gone away. Probably the king, probably the king just acquired them, right? Because they were vacant lands. They were gone. And he's acquired the land. So she goes right to the king. She goes right to the king. Doesn't go elsewhere. And she goes and she requests the lands from the king. Now think about it. <laughs> she's just some lady. Some normal everyday lady. And she goes up into the king. At the end of the seven years, instead of grumbling from the land that she was in with the enemies, she goes to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Now listen to this. She's walking up to the palace, and look look here, and it just so happens, quote unquote, That the only person left to attest to who she is, is that servant, Gehazi. Which tells me that probably, maybe, her husband has died. Maybe. So Gehazi, just coincidentally, I'm not really believing in coincidence, I'm just saying... Coincidentally, she's going to the king, and the Gehazi's there, and, and the king says this. Is this, Is this amazing? King talked with Gehazi the servant, saying, Hey, tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. <laughs> now, it happened. Isn't that funny? That's funny. As he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, That there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. Just at the right time, you see. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you just examine the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Give us this day... Our daily bread. Give us our need. What do we need today, Lord? We know, we we know you can provide. We know you can provide today for today. And here we see provision. We're gonna see really amazing provision, but I want you to see something. At exactly the right time, he gives the provision. You catch it? He gives the provision right at the right time. Here he is providing a good dad the best dad, the greatest dad. If, 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 if a kid, I, I can never remember it. So you Bible scholars, it's okay. Correct me. I don't care. I mean, if you ask for a fish, you aren't going to give him a stone or a scorpion, right? You're going to give him a fish. That's the dad we serve. He's good and he provides and he wants what's best for you and he... He loves you, and, and, and I wonder, I think sometimes we have this image of this resistant God who just, oh man, Joe's been asking for that for weeks. I don't know, we think, I don't know, should I withhold it from him for a couple more weeks just to make him squirm? That's how I think some of us think God is. When reality, he's looking down. Man, I just want Joe to keep coming to me, and I'll just keep providing. And he just comes to me, and I provide, and he comes to me, and I provide. I want him to come to me every single day. Why? 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 Because I love him. I want to hear from him. Just like you want to hear from your friends and your family and the people you love. God even more so, right? And here he does it. He does it at the right time. He does it at the right time. Now listen, here's Gehazi, and he's saying, listen, Elisha brought this boy back from dead to life. And this is where people argue. So let's set the argument straight. I have no idea whether this is chronologically out of order. Some people believe chapter 8 should be before Gehazi, It should be right after chapter 4, before chapter 5. Do you get what I'm saying? Because Gehazi here is testifying to the goodness of the resurrection. Do you see that? But wait a minute. Gehazi was a leper. And a leper, there's no way he could have been in the hall of the king, right? He couldn't. So some people believe this is out of chronological order. And that very well could be. I don't know the answer to this. But what if it isn't out of chronological order? I want you to think about it. Did he, you know, leprosy in the Old Testament was a lot of different things. Not just the stuff we see that's the ultimate. It was skin conditions, too. What if, what if, now think about this. What if Gehazi repented and and was healed? I don't know. I don't know the answer. But what if he did? Man, if he did, I got hope. Because I mess up. You ever messed up? You messed up? You sinned after you surrendered your life to the Lord? Have you ever sinned? Really, right? We've sinned. And the Lord, mercies are new every day. And our, his, the, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, covet our sins, past, present, and future. And the things that we want to do, we don't do. And the things that we don't want to do, sometimes we do. And, Lord, I'm, we're so sorry. But thank you, Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can just keep coming and keep walking in you. How blessed is that? And, and we do mess up. I don't know. You can decide. You be a Berean, and you, you decide where this comes. But one thing I do know. People who witness resurrection become witnesses. you catching me? What did he choose to say? Of course he chose to say that little boy was dead, and he came back to life. and that's what you say and that's what i say because see i know i was dead in my trespasses and sin i couldn't free myself i was in bondage to sin i was a child of wrath i was a a son of disobedience the wrath of god was right there and somehow some way god revealed himself to me and i responded in, And the Holy Spirit came to live in my life. And he's done it for all of you that have surrendered your life to Christ. You see it? And now, what is your witness? Just point people to the resurrection. You you don't know what to talk to atheists about or Buddhists or... uh, I get it. There's strategies and learn them and be an apologetic person and learn apologetics. But it always comes back to one fact. Did he rise again? Because if he rose again... He is who he says he is, because nobody else has done it. And he is who he says he is, right? And so we become, in resurrection power, people who are resurrected ourselves, have new life, gone from dead to life. We witness to people about the resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? So he does that, and then... There was this woman whose son he had restored to life. He appealed to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is that woman. And this is her son, verse 5, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. You catching that? She talked to the king about it. God bless you. And then you ought to circle this, star it, put highlights on it, jump up and down. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying... Oh my goodness, it's 8 o'clock. Restore all that was hers. And all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. (laughs) You get this, right? This story is in there because it really happened, but it's just not just in there. The Holy Spirit inspired this. He's... brought you back from dead to life, from death to life. And he's restored everything and given you new life. And then now he has grace and riches that are exceeding and abundant and more than you could ever hope or think. And he wants to do all that he can for you as a great king who loves his son or his daughter. He wants to restore and more. Isn't that beautiful? He wants to restore and even more. I want you to see something else here. Why is it that we want to go to Israel? Why is it that Israel, the land, the land, is so integral to the story of the Bible? Why? What is it? What is it about the land? What is it that this is saying even more than she gets her stuff back? She didn't just get her stuff back. She gets her land back. You catching that? Well, let's examine that just for a minute, and then we'll pray. And I didn't get very far at all. You see, I always say this, but it's true, and I want you to remember it. The Bible is always about the presence of God, and God picked this little country on the Mediterranean sea, just like Rhode Island, just a peewee little country. I would have picked America, be honest with you i'd have picked russia i'd have picked China, some big place, made it i'd have had all the technology in place so I could broadcast it to everyone. No, no, the Lord just said uh, about. 2,000 years ago, I'm going to take this peewee little thing, this little place. You can hardly see it on a map. You hardly even know where it is. Just a little peewee little place is going to be surrounded there. And I'm going to teach them how to make their home with me. You catch that? I'm going to teach them how to make their home with me. And Israel is going to be... A picture of what I want to do for the whole world. I want to make my home with them. What was God doing in the beginning of the Bible? He was communing with them in the cool of the day. He was walking and talking and communing with them. And then they rebelled. And you know the story. In page 4, chapter 4, we have murder. A brother murdering a brother. I mean, it went just haywire, cataclysmic. It was awful, a rebellion. But if you keep reading the Old Testament, you'll see that the Israelites wouldn't go anywhere unless the presence of the Lord was with them. They wouldn't move. Cloud, pillar, filling the, glory, the temple. The, we want the glory of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence of the Lord. And the Bible ends with us in the new heavens, in the new earth living in the presence of the Lord. You can read the first chapter of John. When he came in his first coming, Jesus Christ, he came, and it says he tabernacled among us. He lived with us. It's his presence. He wants to be present with you. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 1, remember, he's teaching them in the Old Testament how To make their home with him. He says in Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. Are you catching that? Lord you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. It's all about his presence. How about this in John 14 verse 23. Do you love this verse? Do you love this verse? Well let's love this verse. If anyone loves me Jesus said. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. Listen, listen, and we will come to him and make make our home with him. Oh, okay. I think that's pretty amazing, and I think you think that's pretty amazing. The Lord wants to be with you. You ever had that certain friend that just wants to sidle up next to you or just come and be with you? And they always make you feel good because they just want to be around you. Well, nobody I don't have that. But no, I do. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do that for Jan. I mean, I do that to Jan. <laughs> That's funny. I have more jokes about that, but I'll leave those out. But But do you have that one friend and how they make you feel? You know what I'm saying? They just want to be with you. The Lord wants to be with you. Wants to be in commune with you and you and he's made he's done everything possible to make that possible to reconcile you back to him and this shun woman and this story shows us that we can have circumstances in life that are fantastic and terrible and still live by the power of the resurrection you get it? All right, let's pray. Man, 807. It's amazing. Well, Lord, we just come to you tonight and we thank you for this and uh, just a very short lesson tonight, but Lord, very powerful. We pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, Lord, that it wouldn't just be, let's emulate Christ, although we should emulate Christ, but recognize that The power of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ lives in our life. We have access by the blood of the Son. And Lord, as we move out tonight and tomorrow and the rest of the week, should you tarry, Lord, we need your strength and power to love our families To love our coworkers and to do our jobs well. Lord, to love our enemies. We just pray that you'd fill us afresh with your spirit here tonight. So that when we move out, you'd give us plenty of opportunities to be witnesses of all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.